Welcome to Caffeine, Crime and Canines, a podcast brought to you by two girls who love their dogs, love coffee, but most importantly, love true crime. Hello. Hi, how are you going? Good, how are you? Good. That's good. What's is Yeah, what's happening? Not too much. Nothing exciting? No, I've just been sick again this week. Oh, you're kidding. I know. So many colds this year. That is the freaking worst. <sighs> Sorry over it anyway. I did my neck this week and I'm oh. not kidding you. For like two days, I couldn't move my head. Oh, my God. I and feel like that's happened to you like, before. Yeah. <laughs> it totally has because it's awkward, especially when you're at work and you can't, like, move your head. You look yeah. so silly. <laughs> I must have slept funny. I have no idea how I did it. Um, but I'm literally – I'm full moving today, so I'm so excited. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so that's going on. What else happened? I had Vic's birthday this week. Oh, yeah. Little munchkin man. Yeah. Did he have a good day? Yeah, he did. He had like, I mean, even that little, um, that little like cupcake cake. Yeah. We sung him happy birthday, put on a little hat for him. So, yeah, no, I think he had a good day. He opened his cat toys. <laughs> That's great. And he's a loving. Um, so, yeah, he had a really good day. Just trying to think what else is going on. You know, actually, you know what I started watching this week? Oh, what? You know that Only Murders in the Building? Oh, yeah, Selena... I've watched that. Yeah. Oh, have you? Yeah, because people tell me that they those two old guys remind <laughs> them of me and you. Because yeah. <laughs> they got their podcast. I actually didn't really like the show, to be honest. I don't mind it. I'm, I mean, I'm not that, like, as in I'm about three or four episodes in. Like, I don't hate it. I, no, actually... I should say I do like, like I'm enjoying it. So I don't know. Yeah, see, it got recommended to me and I started watching it and I haven't even finished the season because I just feel like I've lost interest halfway through, yeah. Do you know why? I I can tell you why. Like I like it. It's like a fun show. It's not like so primey. I think that's why. You know what I mean? I did start The Watcher this week though. Have you seen that on Netflix advertised? Lucky I finished that. I'm like, oh my God. Oh, really? It was that night that I couldn't even move my head, so I couldn't do anything. So I was like, "What? What can I watch?" I think maybe like, yeah. When I had that neck thing, I I smashed right through that. Yeah, I'm loving it so far. It's so good. Yeah, it's funny though because when we were watching, um, when we were watching it, Tony's like, "This is really familiar," and it, you know, um, remember I told you I listened to sometimes like BuzzFeed Unsolved. Yeah. They actually covered it in one of their things. So that's why the story was familiar to us. Yeah, it's so wild, the story. And I think, like, this, the show is very overdramatized. Yes, and, yeah. Which is fine. Like, they're not claiming it to be a documentary. But the, the real story is crazy. Yeah, in general, it's nuts. Yeah. And you know what the craziest thing about it is? It's not even, like, something that happened, like, 20 years ago. It's no. more recent-ish, yeah. you know? Yeah, When is it? 2014? I think it's 2014, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, Amazing. I absolutely loved The Watcher. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to finish it. So you have to tell me your thoughts. Although, yeah. Yeah. Your thoughts when you watched it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's um, it with me this week. Yeah, me too. Should we get started in this week's case? Yes, let's go for it. It's a lot longer than what I ever <laughs> thought. Like, honestly, Corey, I'm so into this. So, um, yeah, let's get going. Let's go. Tiny 
island community torn apart by a murder mystery that's remained unsolved for more than three decades. In 1986, on Phillip Island in Victoria, a young woman is brutally killed, the letter A carved into her body. For its residents and a place better known for its playful penguins, it is a disturbing event. The victim is Beth Barnard, the young mistress of one of the island's most prominent and wealthy family members, Fergus Cameron. It's the most brutal attack I've ever seen. The prime suspect is Fergus Cameron's wife, Vivian. Her whole world is starting to collapse. What future is there for her? But Vivian Cameron has never been seen since the night of the attack. She'd made up her mind, this is what I've got to do. The community has remained divided and asking, where is Vivian? Did she stage her own disappearance or is she dead? And importantly, is she even the killer? The brutality of this, could a woman do that? Okay, so this week's case was requested by Ruby. I want to give Ruby a massive shout out because she always supports us. She's always putting like us up on her story. So we really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I want to say I'm really sorry because it's taken us so long <laughs> to cover this crazy ass case. I can This is wild, this isn't case. It? Like, oh. And lucky, I'd never heard of this before. No, neither had I. No. So yeah, thank you so much for the request. And yeah, let's get right in. So this week we'll be covering Beth Bernard and the Phillip Island, I want to say mystery. Mm. So Elizabeth Catherine Bernard, who goes by Beth, was born on the 25th of December 1962 in Melbourne, Australia. Christmas Day. Yes, Christmas mm-hmm. baby. So to her parents, John and Margaret, she was the middle of five children. So after graduating from her agriculture degree, in her early 20s, Beth decided to move to her, like, holiday home in Phillip Island. So Phillip Island is a little island in Australia. It is connected to the mainland by a bridge and it's about two hours' drive from Melbourne. Have you ever been to Phillip Island? No, I don't think I have. Maybe when I was young, but I have no memory of it. Yeah. Have you? When I was little, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it has a tight-knit community. I think at the time there was only like a population of like 4,000 people. So in the 80s it was a bit of a boy's world as there weren't many single girls down there. Mm -hmm. But Beth had close friends that lived there and the two would often spend heaps of time together helping each other with things like housework. How cool (laughs) is that? Like they do each other's house, like they do their housework together. Yeah, that's cool. So Phillip Island is... Most known for its colony of little penguins, which is the largest little penguin colony in the world. Yeah, that's crazy. So you, have you seen that? No, I haven't. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was little, it's really cool. I Although am- it's lucky that you're like going through this episode because I say that animal very weirdly. Apparently, Re- tell me it. Do you want me to say it? Yes. Everyone <laughs> mocks me for it. Penguin. Wait a second. Say it one more time for me. Penguin. What? What is that? What? Like, what, what are you saying wrong? I can hear it, but I don't know how you're saying it wrong. I think because I say it like penguin, not um, Pu- pen- penguin. 
penguin. Pen. Yeah, penguin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've killed me. I love that. You yeah. know, it's funny you say that because when I was asked, because as I said, I, I don't have much memory of Philip Island. Apparently, I say Philip Island really weird. Really? Yeah, so I say it. So. All right, good. But that. That's yeah. I'm not going to mention it. I was just going to go with it, but I was like, all right, no, let's. <laughs> now that we're talking about that. Um, but you know that there were more penguins on the island than people. How funny. It's yeah, crazy. So, as you were saying, there's a little penguin parade that runs on the island, and this runs all year round. And you can sit at, su- at sunset and watch these little guys waddle <laughs> across the beach to their home. So cute. So Beth was full of life, bubbly. She loved animals and being outdoors. So she began working at the Penguin Parade. It is here she met Fergus Cameron, who was in his mid-30s. So Fergus worked part-time at the Penguin Parade and came from one of Phillip Island's influential sort of like wealthy families. Mm -hmm. Apparently there were like five main wealthy families on the island. Yeah. And his family was one of them. So Fergus was a founding shareholder in the famous Phillip Island Grand Prix circuit. Yeah. I think it's like the track there. Yeah, yeah. So Fergus had a wife named Vivian. The two had married in the late 70s and moved to Phillip Island to help run the family farm. So from my understanding, Vivian always felt like a bit of an outsider. I think she was quite embarrassed that her parents were divorced and she didn't come from like a fancy sort of family. Especially going into their family. Yeah, exactly right. So she did try her best to fit in and she attended things like um, toast speaking (laughs) classes. That's so random. I know, isn't it? But her main passion seemed to be like empowering women. Yeah. So she liked, like, connecting with women and, like, you know, like inspiring them to learn new skills. So she would always go out of her way to help people, like, by baking, like, just casseroles and, you know, just doing that sort of thing. Yeah. So she worked part-time at the local community house and she also was a hard worker on the farm, on the family farm. Mm -hmm. So the two, the couple had two young sons together. Their names were Dougal and Hugh and they were aged uh, eight and five. So people have described Vivian as a good mother, like very earth-like, uh, and she just had a very calming sort of nature. Yeah. And her kids were her world. Like she absolutely adored them. Mm-hmm. So Fergus had a brother named Donald and he was like a councilman. Yeah. And he had a sister named Marnie and she was a nurse and the siblings all lived on the same street and together ran the Cameron farm. That's just the epitome of wealth, hey, living yeah. in the same street. like Exactly right. But it's funny that I think that Fergus, obviously, his main job was the farm, although he did work at the Penguin Parade. So it seems like the children had, like, the farm and they had, like, things that they enjoy, like their sort of passions as well yeah. on the side. Yeah. So after meeting Beth at the Penguin Parade, Fergus offered Beth a job as a farmhand on his farm and she accepted it was a perfect job for Beth because she was able to spend her day outside with the animals. Yeah. And she had that degree, agricultural yes. degree as well. Yes. Exactly right. So in May 1985, Beth and Fergus began having an affair. So it happened by, I'm going to put like air quotes, accident, <laughs> when Beth had invited a bunch of colleagues from the Penguin Parade over for drinks and Fergus was the only one that showed up. 
So they both thought it was like just going to be a one at time thing, but it soon became evident that that was not the case. So Fergus began spending as much time as possible with Beth. So the fact that they worked together at both their jobs, like at the Penguin Parade and on the farm, wasn't enough for Fergus. And he would often leave home early just to see Beth. She was so, a lot younger than him. Sorry, I'm just going to jump in. Yeah, she think, was like 21, hey, and he was like yeah. in his 30s, yeah. Yeah, I think there was like a 13-year age gap. Yeah. So about a year into their relationship, Beth and her two friends, Denise and Marie, went to the Maldives. So while the girls were there, they got their palms read, and when the guy got to Beth, he told them he couldn't read hers and, like, ran off. <laughs> How creepy, right? That's so weird. Isn't it? So the girls, obviously, they're just young. They just laughed it off. But once you hear the end of this story, it just gives me chills to think that this happened. Yeah, yeah. So this trip was meant to be a new start for Beth as both her and Fergus knew that their relationship was wrong and had agreed to break it off. And it sounded like Beth was definitely the more mature one. Like she admitted she was in love with him but she knew that he had to choose like she would constantly tell him it's me or her like we can't keep doing this exactly right so they did agree at this time this is before she left for a holiday that all right this is wrong let's break it off but the second she returned they were back together it's like they couldn't stay away from each other yeah so vivian knew something was wrong Fergus had stopped, like, doing it with Vivian out of respect to Beth. Oh, my God, respect. (laughs) What? I know, right? So every time Vivian would question Fergus, he would just deny it, claiming that he and Beth were just really good, like, friends. And Vivian, obviously, like, I mean, I think this is just a female thing, but there's nothing ever getting past a wife, I don't think. Like, you know. Exactly. And she can see them work. Like, they work together together. Like, he works with her at both her jobs. But at, by this stage, I'm sure that Beth was sort of, like, part of just the Cameron family. Like, she sort mm. of, like, did I think she called his brother, like, she called him something. I've actually slipped my mind. Like, uncle or yeah. papa. She called him something. Like, so she obviously had quite a close relationship, not only with Fergus, but with his family. Yeah. So Vivian tried everything to save her marriage even going to marriage counseling alone because fergus refused to attend with her so it sounds like as well like fergus was just checked out like you know i think his mind had made up that it was probably gonna be beth but yeah but but i i feel like his values like as in yeah quoting like he didn't sort of want to break up his family so although he had like chosen Beth he didn't want to ruin like break up his family for his boys yes so in December 1985 Vivian caught Fergus and Beth hugging in the farm shed and this wasn't like I'm guessing it wasn't like a friendly sort of hug like she could tell something else was going on right yeah yeah it was more than a friendly hug and again Vivian confronted Fergus about his relationship with uh, with Beth who again denied everything so that same month, Fergus returned home late after a Christmas party at Beth's and apparently Vivian lost her shit. She's like <laughs> punching him in the face, crying him and asking why he was so late coming home. And she was quite, could be quite violent when she was angry, hey? But see, this this is coming from Fergus. Nobody yes. else is 
ever uh, claimed. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes, Fergus has said that she could get quite, you know, like violent when she was angry, but there is no other evidence. Well, it's not like she was a of, violent person. Yes, nobody yes. else knew this. Like, yes. as I said, she was like an earthly sort of mother. Like, she was very calm, polite. A lot of people seem to go against what, what Fergus. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So that's just, I guess, an interesting point. So you, it's like a word for you got to just take whose word you want to believe, really. Yeah. So as I was saying, from what I've read and heard, Fergus wanted to keep the marriage together for the boys and a divorce was against his values. But this event, I think like the, the um, farm hugging event, really shook up Beth. Yeah. who began looking for work off the island. And, again, this is like what you said. Like she's like the more mature one. She's trying to put space between the relationship. Yeah, yep. So she was planning to move back to Melbourne. In February 1986, she quit both her jobs in Phillip Island and got a new job in Werribee. This would put a good two hours between Fergus and Beth ending their relationship. Mm-hmm. But around the time Beth was due to move, Fergus sat her down and asked her not to leave. She ended up staying and, of course, was welcomed back to both her jobs at the farm and at the Penguin Parade. (sighs) And how this decision literally has changed, like, so many lives. Uh So by mid-1986, Vivian was trying everything to, like, keep her shit together. She had called Lifeline for help. And was very anxious about Fergus Fergus's relationship with Beth. So Vivian's father had left her mother when she was just eight for a younger woman. So I can imar- imagine oh. that this was just like such a tough time for Vivian. Yeah. So Vivian began going to counselling. She'd also lost quite a bit of weight and dyed her hair. Yep. Now some people report this was to win Fergus back and others think that she was actually planning on leaving him. Okay. So on the evening of Monday, September 22nd, 1986, 23-year-old Beth had taken a few days off work due to being unwell, like from a sinus infection. I think she had like flu-like symptoms also. Yep. So she had caught up with her friend Marie that day how cute is this, right? Lucky the two would enter competitions. Like they'd go and get like magazines and then enter all the competitions <laughs> together. That's just so – I love that because I feel like that's – I mean, I grew up in the 80s, but that's just something that I used to do. Yeah. Anyway, while she spent the afternoon with Marie, she mentioned that she was growing tired of her relationship with Fergus leading nowhere and she had planned on giving him an ultimatum that night. Yeah, because he's, like, stringing her along at this point, really. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's not like, like, this is, they've been dating now for over a year. Like, I think it's, like, a year and a half, maybe even two years, you know. So after Fergus finished his shift at the Penguin Parade, he headed straight to Beth's to check on her because, remember, she'd been sick. Mm-hmm. So unbeknownst to Fergus, around 8 p.m., Marnie was looking to speak to him and had called his home. So Vivian had informed Marnie, that he was still at work. So Marnie went and called the Penguin Place and they told her that he had already left for work. So Marnie waited at her house like 20 minutes thinking like to give him enough time to get home and then made her way to Fergus and Vivian's. So at this point, Marnie, the sister, does she know that he's having an affair or no? Uh, I mean, I think she did. 
I think yeah. a few. I, I think it was like like a well known sort of rumor. And by this stage, I'm pretty sure Vivian was pretty adamant that do you know what I mean that it was happening as well. Like as I said, there were rumors that she was talking about it openly about. Not only leaving Fergus, but that her like her relationship was sort of like in shambles. Yeah. So I've got a feeling that Marnie did know. And even when like so when Marnie got to the home and Fergus wasn't there, she waited with Vivian and I think they just had like a glass of wine. But she could tell that the mood was really tense. And like uh, Vivian knew that like, all right, if Fergus hasn't come straight home, he's gone to Beth's. You yeah. know, like she could just she knew. Yeah. So Fergus would not return home for about another hour. So Fergus returned home at 9.20, but his phone rung as he walked in the door and he took the call. Like It was like a business call, which lasted like 10 or so minutes. Yeah. So he has said that he knew something was up from the moment he walked in the door. Just like it, you know, like you could feel the tension as he walked in. Yeah, he could tell, right? Yeah. So he quickly spoke with Marnie. Could remember she needed to speak with him about whatever they need to speak about, and then she headed straight home. She was probably like, "I want to get that yeah. out of here." <laughs> <laughs> so once she left, Vivian confronted Fergus about his long-standing affair with Beth. Things escalated quickly with Vivian, like attacking him with a wine glass. And this is Fergus's side of the story. Yes. You know, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But Fergus was bleeding heavily. He had injuries to his head and back. So Vivian became quite worried when she realized, like, the injuries that she had caused. Mm -hmm. And she decided it was best she take Fergus to the hospital. The couple called Marnie, who had only just returned home, and asked if she could come back to watch the children, who had luckily slept through the argument. So when Marnie and her husband, Ian, arrived back at the home, they noticed that it was signs of a struggle. There were bloody clothes, towels, and a tissue in the bathroom. And there was a bit of blood, like, in the spare room and bits of broken glass on the floor. So at this point, it's not just Fergus's word now of Vivian being a bit violent. With yes, him. yes. You know, she could... It's probably fair that she wasn't a violent person, but some like sometimes things just drive you to be. She, she was triggered. Like maybe yeah. she just lost it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So Marnie and Ian cleaned up the glass so nobody else would get hurt, but they left all the blood that was sort of like lying around the house. Yeah. So at the hospital, Fergus and Vivian would eventually, after a lot of questioning, Tell the nurse Fergus fell through a glass door, either a glass window or a glass door. Yeah. So after receiving medical attention at the hospital, the couple returned home just after midnight. Now the hospital staff have reported that the couple seemed to be very much together. Yeah. So when Fergus and Viv returned home, they told Marnie they had decided to separate, but needed to sort like a few things out. Like a few things out. Yeah. So I think they had sort of agreed that it would be best for Fergus not to spend the night at the family home. So they told Marnie that Viv would drop Fergus up at hers when you know when they were done chatting. Yeah. So now it gets a little bit messy here. <clears throat> Because depending on what statement you go 
like you go by, the time sort of changes. But I'm going to go by 2 a.m. because it's Fergus that has said that he was dropped off at Marnie at 1 a.m. But if you actually go through his statement about the events of the night, it, it can't add up to 1 a.m. if that makes sense. It just doesn't yeah. make sense, even yeah. going by his statement, even though that's the time he claims. So I'm going to say at 2 a.m., Vivian dropped Fergus off at Marnie's. Now, Fergus claims she agreed for Fergus to take custody of the two children, that she would quit her job and that she had planned, like Vivian had planned to move back to her uh, family's home in Melbourne the following day. She had said that he was a great father and that the children would be better off with him as she wasn't a good mother. I don't believe that. Yeah. This I, is... I believe that she maybe said, let the boys stay here, keep their life as normal as possible. But I don't believe that she would admit she's a, not a good mother. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But something else I find odd is there were rumours leading up to this evening that she had planned to move back to Melbourne with the boys. Yeah, okay. So in saying that, and not only that, if he's the cheating husband, wouldn't you kick him out of the freaking house and he can go somewhere else and you, yeah. can, you can stay with the children and let their lives be as normal as possible? Like, I don't know. I just find this very odd. But then I guess, like you said earlier in the episode, like she felt out of place. Like maybe she just always felt out of place there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so she said that she, was, she wasn't a good mother and that he should uh, keep the kids. She also warned him not to be stern with the kids and take for granted that Beth would be a great mother. <laughs> like she's given up almost. Yeah, but yeah. like what she's so she's saying, like move your girlfriend into the farm and she yeah. can raise my children. Yeah. I, I, I just feel like, like that's. I don't know. I just feel like that's far-fetched for me, yeah. in my mind, especially because everyone else says she was obsessed with her kids. Like she would do, like she would always be volunteering at their school. Like she was that sort of mother. So yeah. I, I just don't think she'd pack up and leave them. Mm. So it's reported that Marnie gave Vivian two sleeping pills that night also, like when she had dropped Fergus at the home. Yeah. So at 3 a.m., Vivian called her friends John and Robin. She asked if they would be able to collect the children from the home as there had been an accident and Vivian, like, and that she, Vivian, needed to take Fergus to the hospital. So this is obviously she's not lying, but she's stretching the truth here. Well, she, this, this event happened earlier. This exact thing happened earlier in the evening at like 10 p.m. Remember when Marty came to look after the kids? So it's like, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on here. Like it's like she needed to get away and she used that as an excuse because she that had happened earlier that night. Yeah. So John and Robin arrived at the Cameron residence at around 3.10 a.m. So the children were home alone and the couple assumed that they must have been in a rush, as in like Vivian and Fergus must have been in a rush, as Vivian had left her handbag behind. Weird. Yep, they'd seen it at the house. So at around 7.30 to 7.45 that morning, Robin could not get in contact with the Camerons and she wasn't sure what to do with the children because she needed to get to work. Yeah, that's so annoying. Isn't it? Like, she's probably like, ah, what the heck am I going to do yeah. here? 
So she finally made contact with Donald, and that's Fergus's brother, and explained, like, the mysterious phone call that she received during the night. So he, like, they arranged for him to pick up the youngest boy, Hugh, and for Robin to send the eldest boy to school with her children. Yeah. So Pam, Donald's wife, managed to make contact with Fergus at Marnie's. And she explained, so she's obviously, now this is the hardest thing I find about this case. There's all these calls going on. So-and-so is calling. Like there's all these calls, but there's no phone records at the time to sort of back up any of these calls or what actually, to map out actually what happened. So it's sort of just like a big mess, like who called who, if that makes sense. But it sounds like everyone was pretty frantic. Like it, it, it. Obviously, it was a bit out. Obviously, out of the ordinary. Like it seems like everyone was just a bit like, like what? Shit, this is a big, like a big event, you know. But yes and no, because Marnie still goes to work that morning. So she, she's a nurse, and she actually goes to work at the hospital that Fergus had gone come from that morning. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so she had gone to work. Pam, Donald's wife, went to work. So the two, like, do you know what I mean? They both go to work. It's just now the. I don't know, there's just something very weird going on. And as I said, yeah. it's very hard to map what actually or who called who or what actually went on that morning. But I'm going to try my best try to best. Like walk <laughs> you through it. Um, but, yeah, definitely stop me or ask me questions because I think I've got a bit of an idea or I've got thoughts on what happened, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, so as I said, Pam managed to make contact with Fergus and explain the situation on what what went on with the children like that night, for instance, that like Vivian had called Robin to go pick up the kids. So she told Fergus that no one had been able to make contact with Vivian and he automatically becomes adamant that something is wrong with Beth. Hmm. Like what? What the heck's what, what's yeah. going on here? So it makes me think that maybe he had or sh- Vivian had maybe insinuated to him that she would do something. Do you think? Well, exactly. So his concern came from a threat Vivian had made made the night before. Yeah. So apparently when they got to the hospital, Vivian had said to Fergus, I'm going to get that little bitch. This is quoted, right? Yeah. Referring to Beth. So his concern grew when it was discovered that Vivian had taken the Land Cruiser and not the car she would usually use. Apparently, like, this Land Cruiser was something that only Fergus and Beth would sort of drive. Yeah, like a farm car. Yeah, exactly. So he's thinking, why has she – she's left her car behind, the Land Cruiser's missing and Vivian's missing. So he's, like, worried about Beth. Yeah. To the point, though, where – he calls his sister, Marnie, at work and asks her to call Beth. This is what doesn't make sense to me. Why isn't he calling Beth? Like, I'm just so confused. He's calling and, and not only does he do that, he asks Marnie to come home, like, quickly. So she leaves work. So there are people that dispute which time, like, what time this actually happened. And the time does matter whether it was 8.30 in the morning or 9.30 in the morning because I'm about to tell you what happened between that time, right? Yep. So Fergus also sends his brother Donald and his brother-in-law Ian to check on Beth. He doesn't go. He sends them, right? It's like he knows what's happening. Yes. Yeah. It is. 
So, and he's trying to like make sure he's not connected. Yeah. Well, well why else wouldn't you go? To ch- I mean, uh, like, why wouldn't you leave your son with his uncle and go and check on your, yeah. uh, like, the person you claim to love? Yes. Beth, you know? Anyway, Donald and Ian were able to access Beth's home via an open back door. I think it was, like, ajar. So there they discovered Beth's body lying on her bedroom floor. So the two men immediately then jump back into their car and head straight to the police station. So when they arrive at the police station, neither one of them were able to actually like vocalize what had happened. Yeah. It took them like 10 minutes. Like they were telling stories about like, you know, Vivian and Beth and Fergus, like their stories were going in circles and, at some stage, they were able to say, like, there's been a domestic at Beth's and she is not well. This is what they told police. <laughs> so when police arrived at the scene, they found Beth lying on her bedroom floor covered with a floral doona. Now, this doona cover was actually pulled from another room, which is just odd in itself, right? <laughs> so a small kitchen knife lay, lay nearby. And it's been said that Beth was attacked while she was in bed. Yep. So under the doona, they found that she had a knife blow to the face. This knife blow was so bad, Lockie, that she was missing her tooth. Oh, my God. So it's a very personal attack, you know. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. So her throat had been slit almost like to the bone. Oh. And her body had been stabbed and cut. So she did have defensive wounds to her hands and forearms. Yeah. Now the killer had smeared the blood like all around her body in some sort of like circular motion. It's really <laughs> random, right? Yeah, yeah. But maybe the most shocking thing of all is the letter A had been carved into her chest like and stomach. Yeah, like the scarlet letter. Yes. So speculation suggests that this could refer to the night sorry the 1850 novel the scarlet letter so have you i've never read it have you did you have to i've read never it read school? it but i know i know the story of it i tell you tell everyone the story so the story is of a lady who has a baby out of wedlock and she refuses to say who the father of the baby is and her punishment is she has to wear an a for adultery around the community and she's almost exiled she raises her her child but she's pretty much exiled from the community later on it comes out that the father of the baby was a local priest and he apparently had scratched an a in his own chest because he was obviously ashamed as well and lived with it privately but she had to Live with it publicly. That's yes. exactly what I just read like a summary and that is exactly yeah, so he was able to like be in the community and no one treated him differently, even though he had like the A yeah. carved in him because obviously no one could see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so so as I said, the speculation is that this is what that A referred to. So most of Beth's house was undisturbed, but the killer did clean up in the bathroom. There were no fingerprints, footprints. The killer did wash their hands 
and there was a hand towel with blood in Beth's bathroom, but it was like hung up neatly, (laughs) right? Anyway, there were various cigarette butts that were found around the house to suggest that the killer sort of hung out for a while. But weren't the the, the um, cigarettes were two different brands yes. or something? Yes. Yeah. There were two different brand cigarettes and Beth did not smoke. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I just found this interesting because, as I said, there were cigarettes all over the place, but there were two smoke butts in an ashtray on the bench next to the phone. I just thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with the threat from Vivian that night and Vivian missing, the search for her began. So the family's land cruiser was located at around 4 p.m. by Donald's wife, Pam. So it was parked at the Phillip Island Bridge. And the weird thing about where it was parked is it was in full view of the road. So police and people would have been passing it all day. But, like, it just wasn't located till 4 p.m. So in the car was Vivian's handbag, the same brand of smokes that were at Beth. So remember those two brands? One of of the brands was obviously in that car. Was Vivian a smoker, like, normally? Yes, I think she was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And that was her brand. So the same brand that was found in her car was her brand and it was also found at the scene. Yeah. So there was also a bloody face washer and a knife in the car. But there was no blood in the actual Land Cruiser or on the steering wheel, like no no actual traces of blood. It was just on on that item, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the water of like, like, under the bridge was searched extensively for four days, but there was no sign of Vivian, like not her glasses, not her shoe, no sign of her. So they were kind of thinking that she had committed suicide on the bridge, hey? Yes, exactly right. But apparently no one's ever committed suicide on that bridge. Yes, no one, like successfully, yeah. Yeah. And people jump off that bridge for fun. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just very random, especially like, when there were apparently there were like really like sort of dangerous cliffs at the back of her property. So why the heck would she then drive to this bridge? Like it, it, there's just weird stuff that doesn't make sense. So the Cameron family held a private like invite only funeral for Vivian shortly after her disappearance. A funeral. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I should say, I think it was a memorial. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cause I, yeah. Sorry, my bad. Uh, but anyway, they claim it was done for closure, like for the children. But even like friends that attended have have gone on to say like the whole thing was just like really weird, like odd. Like how do they know she's not coming back at this stage? Exactly. When there's no, there's literally no evidence that she actually did jump. And she said she was going to go and live with her parents anyway. So you'd think that they'd think, oh, she's probably there like why would they just jump to that conclusion that she's not coming back exactly and you know what else like I found this really sad her family as in Vivian's family found out she was missing like through the media I think like on the radio they heard it yeah just crazy and from my understanding she was like the suspect from the second Beth was found like yeah it was it was Vivian and and that's it you know Mm, well it makes sense yeah so the po- police concluded Vivian had murdered Beth, then taken her own life by jumping off the Phillip Island Bridge. 
The coronial inquest that was held in 1988 accepted that version of events. So, quote, although Vivian's body had not been found, I am satisfied that she is dead and that she leapt from the bridge into the water. And I further find that the deceased contributed to the cause of death. So that's what the coroner's statement was. Yeah, exactly. So, but we are left with just so, like, more questions than answers in this case. So in September 2020, the police did confirm that the cold case homicide detectives were still looking into Beth's murder. So it's not closed. No. Hmm. And, I mean, some of the things that just don't add up, don't make sense, that are up for discussion is, so something that is so bizarre in this case, right? So a local woman and colleague of Vivian's named Glenda swears she spoke to Vivian that morning. So she has said that Vivian had called her at 10 a.m. regarding a patchwork present for a retiring co-worker. So it was a completely, she claims it was a completely normal conversation and she could hear voices in the background. So she apparently she had mentioned to like Vivian, oh, the boy's home or something like that. And Vivian sort of like shrugged it off, like didn't really say anything about it. But the thing about this call is it was witnessed by her very close friend, like Glenda's very close friend, who was down from Melbourne just for that one night. So she had slept over at Glenda's on that Monday night and was there on that Tuesday morning. And that's obviously when Beth's body was found. So people have said like, oh, she was mistaken. It happened another day. No, No, it it actually couldn't have happened another day because her friend was only there that morning and her friend also knew Viv, like Mm. Vivian. So Mm. when Glenda said, oh, it's just Viv, like they didn't think anything of it till that evening. So that evening when they found out, all this had gone on. It's not like they came forward days later. They spoke with each other almost once away when they found out what had happened. Yeah. And to the point where Glenda was like so like distraught about this, her friend who had already returned back to Melbourne made her way back down to Phillip Island to, you know, to like, I back don't know. Back her up com- on Yeah, exactly. Yeah, back yeah. her up and comfort her. So this isn't the only weird thing that doesn't add up in this story. So remember that broken wine glass from the night before that I was like that. So they, Fergus claims that Vivian had hit him with the glass and then Marnie had cleaned it up. Do you remember yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 So there is like no glass was ever discovered at the home, not even in the bin. So is it that insinuating that Marnie – maybe lying also pretty much like that's what it is insinuating that there's like and the police have said like if there was glass we would have found and that there was no evidence to show that a glass was broken that night yeah so remember vivian's handbag well it was found in the land cruiser but her friend had seen it that night at 3 a.m when she was going to pick up the children yeah so she's of yeah that's weird hey so this means, right, that Vivian drove to Beth's, mm-hmm. killed her, drove back home, picked up her handbag, and then headed back towards Beth's to get to that bridge. So she's literally, like, she's gone back home and then gone back out, like, in the same direction of, Be- at, like, of Beth's home. Like, what was she doing? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. 
like geographically, if you know what I mean, like that she'd gone home and then gone to the bridge if that's what she was planning on doing. Yeah. Especially, as I said, because there are like scarier cliffs at the back of her property. Why didn't she just jump there? Yeah, and it's weird to go back, like she would go back to her house to pick up her handbag to then leave it in the car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. Mm. So there are a few rumours that, because obviously that 3 a.m. phone call is probably like the thing that just, as well as obviously the call she made at 10 a.m., but she did call for someone to come watch her kids that night. Yeah. And there are like a few rumours that maybe, Vivian went to stay at the community home like because she had a key. That's where she worked. And apparently there was a note discovered under like the Tuesday like entry that was written by Vivian. So people were like, well, when did she write this note? Like did she call maybe her friend Glenda from the community home? Like there's just so many questions regarding those phone calls and that particular entry in the diary just even her movements like what the hell she was doing like exactly mm. and another thing just bizarre about that like the car in general or it being found on the cliff so apparently this guy came forward and this was years later i think um like 94 or something along those lines right and he came forward and said that he had seen like a motorcycle at around 5.30 a.m. that morning. And remember, that was around the same time that that was the first time the car was spotted mm. by the bridge was at 5 a.m. that morning. So, yeah, as I said, this particular person has come and said they saw like a motorbike. It had like no lights on. Like they, they don't, they're like, I don't know who was driving it. I don't know what relevance this has but the reason why it's stuck in their mind is because they had seen the land cruiser with this obviously like a like like a farm sort of motorbike at the back before like riding on the back so it just sort of like maybe this is something relevant to the case Yeah, yeah like could for instance someone driven the land cruiser out parked it there and then ridden home on the bike like on a motorbike yeah So as you said earlier, nobody has ever successfully like committed suicide off that bridge. Yeah. Which is just got like, you know what I mean? Adds to so many questions. Also, a detective has said that when they first went to inspect the area like that day when they found the car, there were no there was no like break in the salt crust in the railings. And yeah. you would find that if she did jump, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just odd that obviously nothing's been found of Vivian's or no- nothing was found. Like she was wearing a scarf that night. Also, she was wearing like this fur, um, it's called mo. I think it's like a mo. is it mohair jumper? Mo fur oh, yeah. jumper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that like traces of that weren't even found in the car. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like things are just not adding up. Yeah. Like as in the, the story, the official story that people yeah like the car's been planted almost yeah exactly also like why is there no blood in the land cruiser when the killer would have been covered in blood yeah also there were two drops of blood found outside beth's home which were vivian's yeah i think it's no it's no um there is no i don't even know how to say this like it's certain she was viv was at beth's 100 percent, she was there 
because of this. The, all right, so, so let, we should actually go through a little bit of the DNA in general, mm-hmm. uh, just what has become available even in the 90s. Like obviously they were able to do like like DNA testing became more readily available and that in general just doesn't add up to, again, the story that we've been told. Yeah. So let's get into the DNA. So cigarettes with Vivian's DNA were found at Beth's. Yep. So like you said, that's placing her at the scene. The knife in Beth's bedroom had Vivian's DNA Mm -hmm. on the handle, but in saying that, experts do not think that this was the only knife used in the murder. So apparently there were really weird marks on Beth's body and it's the way people have sort of come to the conclusion that it may have been apparently like there was this popular knife in the 80s, which is no longer available. But imagine like a long knife and then it's got sort of like two like curved handle bits at the top. Does that make sense? I might post a photo. Yeah, post a photo. I'll post a photo, right. So pretty much when they are stabbing Beth, it's not only like this sharp knife that's making like an incision in her body. It's also like the top of the curved handle. But these knives are not like available anymore and there, this knife was never found. If it was this knife okay. that was um, that did make like the injuries to Beth's body, mm-hmm. so there was a towel in Beth's bathroom that had Vivian's blood on it. Yeah. But the weird thing about it is it had Vivian's blood, but none of Beth's. So this is the strangest thing of all: is you can say that Vivian was there, but there's no like transfer blood, if that makes sense, yeah, or transfer okay. DNA. Yeah. So all the blood on Beth's body was her own blood. Yep. Now this is where the DNA evidence becomes just so freaking strange, right? So Vivian's blood was found like all over her own home, even though she hadn't been injured at her home. Remember? Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. (laughs) Remember, that's meant to be Fergus's blood. And the thing that's so strange, like Fergus's blood is also found at his home. But the thing about this is that when Marnie had come that evening, that's the blood that she had found around the house. So now they're saying that a lot of it was Vivian's blood. So how the heck does that even fit into this timeline? It doesn't make Mm, sense. Something which is just like mind-blowing is it later came to light that Beth's blood was found on some papers in a spare room at the Cameron's house. Like how much blood? Like a paper cut's worth of blood? Like I think it was like blood, like it was like a blood transfer. Okay. Which is bizarre because Marnie says she saw this blood at 10 p.m. So how the heck... Is it Beth's blood if Beth didn't die till 3 a.m.? Doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like the whole timeline just doesn't look. I don't even know. You can't actually just do a nice, neat timeline because nothing makes sense. What if Beth's blood was there before this incident even happened? Like what if she had a paper cut or like she worked on a farm? Like she could have just cut herself. Like why are they like I don't, yeah. I I think it's weird because – this particular spare room had like Beth's blood on paper, but it also had Vivian's blood and it also had Fergus's blood. 
So I feel like at at this is at the cam- yeah, this is at the Cameron home. There is that one piece of paper with Beth's blood, which would suggest that who whatever happened to Beth. Let's just say like we're so speculating here, but whatever happened to Beth, they whoever's come home with Beth's blood on them and like transferred it onto this piece of paper, and then let's just say it was Vivian, and then she's gone and jumped off the bridge. What was this piece of paper? Nobody knows. This is the thing. No one freaking knows. It hasn't been revealed. And even like in like, because I, I watched this show called Sensing Murder. It's like the Scarlet Letter. It's Mm -hmm. actually really good, even though they do have like a lot of like um, clairvoyance and like I don't know if clairvoyance like um like psychics and stuff. Psychics, yeah, in there. Like that's sort of like the show, right? But I, I did very much enjoy this show. But in this original like taping they they made a big deal about this and they're like dun dun but <laughs> beth's blood was found in a home do you know what i mean that on a piece of paper in a spare room but they were not allowed to detail whose home it was but now it's available that it was the cameron's home but obviously just, the, the camerons would know what's on that paper yes like yeah, money at least yeah yeah 100% but the, the i think that the thing that throws this piece of paper just upside, sorry, like throws their timeline upside down is that Marnie claims that she saw this blood at 10 p.m. but Beth wasn't murdered till 3 a.m. I think that's what, what they're getting at. Like the timeline just doesn't add up. And something really crazy just in general about this case is that they don't, I don't think they have a time of death for Beth. Okay. So could she have died? on the Monday night and not the Tuesday morning. No one freaking knows. I think um, Marnie's, like, version of events is not credible. Like, I don't think her saying, oh, I saw the blood at 10 p.m., you know, especially seeing as there was no glass, I just think, like, throw out what she said because nothing makes sense, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, with this, I feel like it's really hard to just map out what happened that night because obviously the phones are in shambles. Like you can't even get the phone records to know who called who, what happened. Like you said, it makes no freaking sense like what Vivian did. Like her timeline just doesn't make sense. What she's gone to Beth's, gone home, what touched these papers, bled all over her house, picked up her handbag, gone and jumped off a bridge. It doesn't And when there's cliffs behind her house. And and the only people kind of surrounding her that could – pieces together it's clear that they know stuff that they aren't saying and they're lying so exactly there's just there's no like firm information exactly and something as well which i find crazy is that the camerons were never formally interviewed yeah that's they gave statements but they weren't interviewed and they gave them like a cooling period of like a few days before they were able to give their statements like i just find that bizarre is bizarre and like, and, like they had blood in their house. They should have been, their house should have been searched. Yes, a hundred percent. And police have said that they, had, like in Fergus's interview, quote, they'd never seen anyone so cool, calm and collected. So their behavior is just like strange. And can I just tell you, even like at the scene when Ian and Donald found Beth, like just the way that they even like reported it to police. They they were just hanging with the police outside, just ran, like just casually chatting with them while yes. another police officer went inside to check out the scene. Like it's just something is just so off. I don't know how to explain it. It's just yeah, yeah. 
off, the behavior is off, right? Not only that, and this is probably my biggest thing that I, I just don't feel like happened. I don't believe that Vivian would have just left her kids. No. I just don't believe that, right? Also, Fergus says that they didn't, like that he didn't have sex with Beth that night, but an autopsy does, re- like reveals otherwise. Apparently she had like old sperm on her. Although it couldn't be determined whose sperm it was. Like people like maybe like she was sort of seeing someone else. But there was another guy that Beth was sort of chatting with around this time and she had told him that she wanted to wait till marriage. So when Beth did sort of say she was having a bit of a relationship with Fergus, like she was honest with this guy and told him, he didn't think that they were like in a sexual relationship. Yeah. So it makes me just think that like she wasn't, I don't know, like having sex with anyone else. Yeah. There is a really weird thing I feel as well that isn't like, I don't know why, it is part of the story, but I I don't know how far it's been looked into. And it's about this guy that Beth worked with at the uh, Penguin Parade. Yeah. And apparently he had like a major crush on her. Like he was like just loved her, right? And she would always complain about this guy to her friends. Apparently he used to buy her flowers like all the time and leave them for He would come, Lockie, and mow her lawns even though like she didn't want him to. And apparently just before she was murdered, she had told him like they got into a bit of a thing. Like she told him like don't come around here and mow my lawn anymore because it felt like like she felt like she owed him something because he was doing all this stuff. Yeah. For her, and soon, like almost right after Beth was murdered, he moved off Phillip Island. Okay, so I think police have said they've ruled him out, but I don't know to what extent he's been looked into. It's just weird that I mean, I get why Vivian is the number one suspect, but at the same time, she's not here to defend herself. No, and the story in what ha- her timeline doesn't make sense that evening at all. So, like, I don't know. What do you think? I think that Vivian did kill Beth, but I think that Fergus found out that he ki- she'd killed Beth and sh- he killed Vivian. Yeah. And he's covered it up as this she's just moved away. And I think he also has planted some evidence to show, like, just so it's really certain that Vivian killed Beth, like, just really tried to fabricate that story that she killed Beth and committed a suicide or moved away or whatever. I just, you know what I find so freaking odd? I find it so hard to get in my mind that Vivian killed Beth with the scene, how it was set up. Like there's something just feels so staged about that scene, just in my bones. Like I'm not saying she didn't do it, but there's, I feel like it's been staged. And even to the point where like someone went into another room and covered her. But like who... Because you know, like stage that. Like I, I don't. That's what I'm confused about. I think yeah, there's I'm, really only one person that wanted Beth dead, and that was Vivian. Yes, that's true. But it's bizarre that there's two drops neatly outside Beth's home, but there's of like Vivian's blood, but there's there's no blood out. Like there's no other blood of Vivian's in the house apart from that neatly folded hand towel. Like that's freaking strange. Yeah, and I think the this... DNA is really weird, but I think that, like, the... 
sorry, and the cuts, like the knife, like obviously that knife that there was DNA of Vivian's on that knife that was just thrown next to Beth's body. But that isn't the only knife. Like why take the other knife with her then that caused all those other weird cut injuries? Like why would you take that and leave this other knife? Like it just it sounds like someone not in there. It just feels staged to me. I don't know why. So what do you think? I I can't even tell you. I know that. (laughs) Can I tell you? All I know is that the evidence does not match. That whole story that I told at the start, that I don't think that happened. Something else happened. I just, I don't know what. And I don't know for sure that Vivian was responsible. Like I'm not 100% on board. I am leaning towards that. Like I do think maybe something like that happened, but it just, something just doesn't feel right. And then that call, what she did all this shit and then called her friend to talk about freaking a patchwork. Doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. It yeah. does not. The whole story just doesn't make sense. And there's so many theories. Like the there theories is, yeah. are endless. Um, whether Fergus did it the night, like, do you know what I mean, the night before and then returned home and then, you know, his sister and Vivian have sort of like said, like, I'll help you cover. Like I, were those injuries that he went to the hospital were they maybe from Beth? I don't know. I don't believe he killed Beth because I think if he wanted it gone, she had come to him before and said, I'm going to move back to Melbourne. Like- yeah, but, yeah, but can I tell you something? Exactly. So if she was going to give him an ultimatum that night and and she's like, I don't want to be with you anymore, like that, for me that is motive to kill her in a rage like- and then go back mm-hmm. to set up the scene. Like, I think that he really, like, I think he genuinely really loved her. Like, I think that that's why he kept her around for so long. And I don't believe that he killed her. I really don't. No, that's that's fair. Like, I I, mm. I, I don't know. I, I do only lean towards he, like, I, you know what? I think he should have been a suspect. I feel oh, like yeah. if, if the police did their jobs and they full interrogated, interviewed him and all that sort of stuff, then you could rule him out and be like, he de- it definitely wasn't him. But we're just left with questions because I don't think his story makes sense and he's definitely covering something, whether oh, that's yes. I think he Vivian's knows yeah. murder or Beth's murder. Whatever happened that night did not happen like they said it happened. No. And, and I think it's – do you know what else I struggle to accept? And I, I don't know, like this obviously happens, but – if, if someone in your family had come to you saying that they knew of a murder or they've murdered someone, I just find it so bizarre that the whole family would just jump on board with covering it up. Yeah, see, that's that's probably that's my so biggest odd. thing. Yeah. And it's not even like, you know what, I could see his sister or his brother helping, but once you get their partners involved, too oh, many people too involved, many people. Yeah. It, it, that's where things start to unravel. Mm. Whereas if it's just one or two people and they're like blood relatives, I don't know, I feel like maybe you could potentially get away with it. You've got a bit of pull in the community. You've got money. Mm. I I can see that. But the the more people involved, the more harder it is for me to be, uh, believe. Yeah. Although, so there is a book called The Phillip Island Murder mm-hmm. and it's by Vicky Petritus. I hope I said yep. that right. Petritus, yep. Anyway, she hosts the case file podcast the vanishing of vivian cameron on yeah. this story it's a 10 part um yeah series it is so freaking good i listened to it all but she wrote about it in like i think it was like 92 right mm-hmm. yeah and the when she released the book 
it was like sort of banned from the island. Not so much where like they, they could ban it by law, but not one bookstore would sell it. Right? Yeah. And when the age bought out like sort of like a snippet of the book, I'm guessing they're like promoting the book or whatever. That morning, someone like that they ran the story, someone went and bought all the age newspapers on the whole island. So they weren't available to the island. Like that sort of stuff. Like I get that I want people to talk, but that seems so freaking sus to me. It's so sus. Yeah. Oh, crazy. So, I I mean, yeah, as I said, I'm I'm really – I struggle with theories. Like I go back and forth. Mm. I just don't know. I just – all I know is something else happened that night. Yeah, yeah. And I don't – I don't so much lean towards Vivian committing suicide off the bridge. I just don't think that makes sense to me. Something else no. happened. Yeah. That was staged. I feel like a bit of the scene was staged. So like you said, maybe they went back and did stage the scene a little bit just so they knew it was Vivian and that they knew Vivian wouldn't be able to be found. Like that sort of makes sense as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Crazy. But, yes, that is the story of Beth Bernard and the Phillip Island mystery. So if you have a case you want us to cover, send us a message on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at Caffeine Crime Canines. Uh, until next week. Until next week. Thank you.